We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olsen, Touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He it is a wild, wacky edition of the Roar Podcast on a Thursday evening here. One of the honestly most remarkable Thursday evenings, or any evening for that matter, in this franchise's 26 year history. John Ellis here with you from Blue Wire. Hope you're doing well. Billy Marshall with a special Cardinals guest coming up here shortly as we preview the Arizona-Carolina matchup that uh, sort of takes on a different meaning now with uh, a certain announcement that was broken by our good friend John Alexander from the Charlotte Observer. Alexander reporting today that Cam Newton, unemployed. You have Sam Darnold now out four to six weeks at least with this shoulder issue. And lo and behold, I, I'm literally driving down the road, park at a Chick-fil-A, and I see a text come through from a good friend of mine in the media biz said, look at John Alexander's Twitter. And I just was absolutely floored at what I saw. Of course, uh, he had a big breaking news. Cam Newton is at that point having conversations with Carolina's brass, uh, which included from Jonathan's reporting, owner David Tepper. Uh, front office czar Steve Drummond, who at one point was the communications director, is now in a higher level uh, position there, sort of a right-hand man very much to what David Tepper is doing up there from a business and football perspective. And, of course, head coach Matt Rule um, were all a part of this conversation uh, collectively in terms of bringing back the only MVP this franchise has ever known, Cam Newton. 2015 NFL MVP. Folks, he's a Carolina Panther. It's official. As I come to you at 6.21 p.m. on a Thursday night here, just looking at the timeline, it's been absolutely crazy. We have talked today with several people in the football industry, had a conversation with our good friend Greg Cosell. We just picked up the phone and chatted for a minute about this and other topics. Uh, I'll, I'll keep Greg's thoughts between us because I think he would prefer that. Uh, but we'll get Greg on the show soon to spill some of the beans on what he thinks. 
Uh, talk with Stanley McClover, our good friend uh, who does work with the Panthers, former Panther defensive end, of course, brother of Brian Burns. Stanley actually sent me a DM after it happened. He said, <laughs> cleaning it up for our podcast here. Bro, give me a call now. We got to talk about this legendary moment. And, you know, again, Stanley has some intel here. I- I've got some sourcing as well. I'll get to in a minute on how this all came together. I'm going to respect Stanley's wishes and not divulge too much info. But I- Stanley is as honest as the day is long. And had very, I'll just say this, there were some interesting wrinkles into what went into making this decision, including, uh, you know, some people within their football operations structure uh, being a part of the process. And that's not to say one bit that there was strife or conflict. I don't get the sense at all that anybody was fighting this move. Uh, I will say this, that Steve Drummond, once again, uh, and I made the point earlier, Peter Schrager retweeted this out there from Good Morning Football. And Schrager made the point that Drummond has uh, quite a history here with this franchise dating back to the Richardson days, uh, was here during Cam Newton's entire regime. In fact, when I covered Carolina's first training camp with Cam Newton and Ron Rivera back in 2011 at Walford College, uh, Steve Drummond was one of the people responsible for hooking me up with credentials, as well as the great Charlie Dayton and and Ryan Anderson. So anyway, props to this entire group, not only from the Panthers' side, but also Cam Newton and his representatives in, in his camp. This was a situation, and we're going to get to the football side here shortly. That's another element that I want to manage expectations on. But it is, first of all, an upgrade. It's an upgrade right off the bat. Sam Darnold has never been at the level of Cam Newton in terms of processing, accuracy in the pocket, accuracy on the run, out of structure. We talked with Doug Farrar today from USA Today on my radio show out at Fox Sports Upstate. Doug made a great point that Greg Cosell is echoed as well. And I put on the tape all offseason. You guys saw it with Sam. Doug said it so perfectly. He said, Sam Darnold is a guy who thinks he can make plays out of structure, but he can't. Whereas a guy like Newton is very good at that breaking contain throwing off platform from his left side to his right side it's what makes this an appealing option to me um but but no props to both the the franchise owner david tepper coach matt rule again we are going to offer critical analysis on this team when i feel like decisions are made that aren't in the best interest of this football team as i view it I, i'm not the czar of football i i like to think that more times than not, I get it right, but I'm certainly not qualified to run your football team, so don't take it personal, fans. Matt Rule and Scott Fitter, I think, sort of missed on this Darnold thing, and I think they're understanding that now. Is Cam Newton the savior? Look, it's a one-year deal. There's some guaranteed money there. He can make up to $10 million. Uh, I think it's very much sort of a an audition for both sides. Look, it, it takes two here. People will say, you know, Cam Newton is not necessarily built to play more than one year. It's a Band-Aid, this and that. I don't know, man. I I think what this is more than anything is is a guy that's getting paid starter money to come down the stretch and try to take a team who has a superb defense. If they stay healthy, you have a running back in Christian McCaffrey who gives you so many elements in terms of running option routes, the Texas routes. Not to mention he's one of the better pure runners in the league. Great contact balance, great vision. And if those two pieces, meaning McCaffrey and and Newton, stay together, we'll get to Joe Brady here momentarily. But the one thing I was disappointed in back in 2020 when the Panthers decided at that point, look, the health is not where it needs to be. 
we need to cut ties is I so much wanted from a football perspective, from a film study, schematic perspective, personnel perspective, whatever you want to call it. I wanted to see McCaffrey and Newton back together in a Joe Brady system and to see some creative wrinkles there to see how some concepts were incorporated. If you think back to like 2018, early in the season, and this is, there was a whole documentary series NFL films did on that season where you could see Cam Newton's shoulder around the Baltimore game where he couldn't throw the Hail Mary late or they chose not to have him throw it late. They brought Heineke in. You could see during that season, there was some situational regression in his condition. This is before the Liz Frank injury. This was just the, the, the arm, the right wing. Uh, took some bad hits in that Philly game. Was, you know, obviously just next level tough to get a 17-point deficit erased in Philadelphia, defending world champs on the road. Uh, one of those legendary games that, that Cam Newton and the Panthers led themselves back into. How much do you think has really dropped off since then, folks? Can I just ask that question for those who tend to look at this very blindly and look at just stat sheets and don't pay attention to tape? Look, is the tape bad from last year? Yes, at times it was. There was some bad stuff going on in that Arizona game. Uh, There were a number of other games in that season in which Newton did not look comfortable. But at the same time, that's the first change he had made in his career. NFL-wise, in terms of head coach, uh, he had been with you know Mike Shula and North Turner for quite some time there. And I don't think McDaniels was comfortable with Newton. I don't think Newton was comfortable operating within what they like to do, which is obviously pocket passing, intermediate, short crossers, pass quickly, get the ball out quickly, efficient, timing, rhythm, all that good jazz you hear about. And that does take somebody who can patiently sit in the pocket and do some good processing work. Cam has done that before. He did a masterful job at that early in the season in 2018 with North Turner. They were running a lot of West Coast concepts in terms of short passing, getting the ball out quick, quick screens, crossers. Uh, He's capable. There's not a mental block with this quarterback that holds him back from that. He is quite capable of coming in and learning some concepts that that maybe he's not totally familiar with. But it's important when you bring in a player with with, with Cam Newton's skill set, and some would say his weakness right now would be consistency with the shoulder. And I get that. Look, there has been evidence that maybe some of the throws are are lacking some uh, degree of accuracy in situations that obviously the shoulder doesn't look quite right. But there were also games where the shoulder looked quite good, uh Baltimore last year Seattle last year he was throwing some dimes in those games the Jets at the end of the year doing some good work so in the preseason as well looked good I I scouted him out pretty good like through Pat's camp just from videos talking to some guys on the beat there and it's not like Mac outplayed him uh it, it really wasn't this was just a business decision that even Cam understood that look we drafted a young quarterback why waste time let's go ahead and get Mac involved To that end, it hasn't been the worst thing in the world for the Patriots. But back to the Panthers, yeah. I think what they are going to be looking at here, obviously there's a lot of reporting going on about Cam Newton's status. I I don't, as much as folks want to see it, I I don't see it being viable that he signs the contract on a Thursday night, comes right in Sunday on the road in Arizona against an attacking defense and and can step right in and learn everything he needs to learn to to rock and roll. I think it's going to take uh, a little bit of time there to get him comfortable within some new schematic concepts, but also give Joe Brady some time and rule as well, because he is now an integral part 
to a certain degree of shaping their identity offensively. I do think they are going to make a true effort here to not necessarily target, you know, he talked about 33 runs a game. That's fine. When Cam Newton was at his best, that's how they operated. Okay, that's how they operated. They were a run-heavy team. They were able to pass when they needed to, though, on early downs. They were not afraid to do either. They were not restricted during Cam's prime to do either. I would just go back to the 2018 film early in the season and look at what the modifications that North Turner made to that offense to customize it around Cam Newton's situation coming off again the 2016 shoulder injury 2017 it lingered again there were more procedures done and I think you got to look at at that model as being something that can work there's a narrative out there if you followed me for a while you you'll understand where I'm coming from because you've seen the old film I put out on this there's a narrative and I hear it from guys like Doug Gottlieb today and and, and I Cowherd's probably talking about it, which is fine. These guys have a limited scope of understanding in terms of one specific player because they're focused on 50 different events going on in sports. But here's what I can tell you. I'm already hearing the concerns about, well, you know, the wear and tear with Cam Newton. They're going to run him, you know, 20 times, 15 times a game. Folks, listen to me. Cam has been hurt the most when he's been either in the pocket, within the pocket, when protection breaks down, or... In the one case, the the more serious of the cases, the fact that he had to chase down an interception that was actually overturned against the Chargers in 2016, an interception that was highly uh, at the hands of one Kelvin Benjamin, who made no effort to chase it down. Newton goes the distance, tries to make a tackle. You know, you can call him stupid for trying to make a tackle, whatever it's. So to that point, look, I I think they're going to have to incorporate Newton like they did last season in New England. It was effective. It got them some traction. They were able to win some games. They beat the Chargers last year on the road. They beat the Baltimore Ravens in the driving rain. Uh, They came close against Seattle. They beat Arizona. Again, that was not pretty at times. But once again, Cam Newton is a Panther, and it's going to be probably about a two, three-day window before I can fully digest what this means in terms of the football side. From a human element, fans are excited. Uh, Just take some time and enjoy it. Because no matter what happens here, it cannot possibly get worse than it has been with Sam Darnold and the back half of Teddy Bridgewater's season last year and then what we saw from Kyle Allen down the stretch after Cam Newton was hurt in 2019. Nothing can be that bad. These are professionals that understand that this team is one game, one half game, by the way, out of the playoff race with a lights out defense. And they don't want to waste a season teetering around with quarterback play that is not up to standard. So guys like Robbie Anderson have to be thrilled about this because for all the talk about Newton, he still has plenty of tape that shows he knows how to read progressions. His mechanics are better than you think. He's also a dominant force in the run game. Still, at his age, his foot looks just fine. And I suggest, and again, this is way above my pay grade, but I know a thing or two about schematics. I'm not an idiot. I would imagine, I would suggest, if it's not being done, that Brady and and Matt Rule and Pat Meyer and the entire offensive staff get together and, and start studying that 2018 tape, if they haven't already, from the early part of the season with North Turner. They did a great job of using McCaffrey, They did a lot of 21 pony stuff with C.J. Anderson. You can do that with Hubbard and McCaffrey now. You can run the triple option stuff. 
short passing, get it out quick, and also watch some tape on Newton if you want to see something that doesn't get appreciated a lot, the mesh point, how long he rides that ball in the belly of the back versus a guy like Sam or other quarterbacks who are a little more timid. Uh, Newton has been battle-tested, folks. A lot's being made of this offensive line. It's bad. It, it might be maybe top two or three worst of team history in terms of pass pro. And I'm, I'm being honest there. 2001-2000 seasons were really bad. I think 2000 might have been worse, actually, even though they had a better record. But I, I think Newton, through his experience of having like a Byron Bell protecting his left side, and at one point they had to slide Trey Turner, who's very good guard, out to left tackle in 2016. Mike Rimmers was part of the protection plan. Uh, Khalil was his left tackle. Matt Khalil, by the way. Ryan, of course, w- was one of the great centers of his time. Um, look, they're going to have get nastier up front, but maybe Cam can help with that. Maybe Cam can give them some, some juice. You know, as they talk about, offensive linemen do not like to be standing back on their heels 45 times a game, especially with a quarterback who's running into sacks. Newton does not do that. Newton has a pretty clean history of not running into trouble. And he also has a good history of doing something that Sam has done a terrible job of is the hospital balls. Billy Marshall brought this up last time we talked. Cam, very subtly at times on tape, people, it's it's behind him. No, folks, look, when you see a ball a little bit behind a receiver running into a coverage window that's about to blast their head off, you saw a lot of this with Funchess Olsen. Cam did a great job with the practice time and chemistry developing that rhythm and, and, and cohesiveness to where, okay, you know, I'm Olsen. I understand I'm going up the seam here. I'm probably going to be looking left shoulder instead of right on this because I've got a safety bearing down on me. I've got a, a curl flat defender here. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot about Newton's game that's very nuanced you have to look at. The stats last year were not good, okay? Grant you that. There are some highlights you guys will see that, whoo, man, he's totally lost his touch. Folks, I'm not lying to you. I have no incentive to, to fluff up Cam Newton here. I was perplexed by the decision at the first place because he's 30 years old at that point. Um, but clearly, you know, to their credit and Carolina's credit and, and Cam Newton's credit, everybody has made amends here. There's no acrimony in that building about this. Could end up being a masterstroke. And it could end up being a decision that if this team becomes playoff ready because of Newton elevating this team just enough, you look back and say this is one of the better, you know, ballsy decisions uh, for, for a franchise to make. It, I talked to a scout today from within that building, and, and he reiterated the same point that I did. It, it took a lot of work on both sides to swallow their pride. You don't see that a lot in the world of sports. You just don't. I understand that, you know, Matt Rule is a pretty down-to-earth, decent guy, but he does have some alpha male qualities about him. Cam Newton the same way. And so there was always, it felt like a bit of a collision course between, okay, I want my own guy. Cam needs to move on and find his own system here. This is my operation. I'm not saying that Matt or or anybody in that building or even Joe or Dave said, oh, we made a mistake. I don't even think that's really important to go back down that road. This was their best available quarterback on the market right now. And this is a team with how they're playing defensively and the kicking game improving. All they need is some familiar competency somebody who knows dj Moore and, and the you know the, the the run of his routes and sort of the timing aspect of how he plays the game the amount of time he spent with mccaffrey folks 
not just in the passing game, the, you know, the famous Texas route, the wheel route, oh, you've been watching film, watch this. But the mesh point stuff, again, talking about how long Cam rides that ball in the belly of Christian McCaffrey, uh, it, it, it's not something that's easy to do. And in the NFL, you don't get a lot of reps in practice, so they have harmonized that over the years. Cam Newton has found a home right back where he started with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, credit to a lot of people today for some fantastic reporting, starting with Jonathan Alexander of the Charlotte Observer, who broke this story. Joe Person uh, for The Athletic soon followed with plenty of details. Uh, Sheena Quick, uh, again, I might be leaving some names out, but Sheena offered some interesting reporting on some of the backstory and lead up to this. Uh, so many good folks out there having a good week in the media, I think. I mean, there's, you know, Matt got sort of put on notice there by some in the press and got pressed a little bit with some very fair questions about Sam Darnold's injury, his play. Where do we go from here? And lo and behold, all along, you would have to assume that throughout that process, he's sort of grinning in the back of his mind, knowing that guys, if you only know what's coming tomorrow, it's just, um, don't let people bring you down about this. You'll hear a few trolls out there that are going to say, Oh, he's past his prime. And maybe he is. For at least a week, enjoy the fact that a guy who is still very young by NFL standards has two feet he can walk on, folks, believe me. And I, the shoulder, it still can throw a football adequately enough compared to like a Ben Roethlisberger who was chucking up five-yard checkdowns to his backs and racking up passing yards. Look, that's fine, too. Again, North Turner Concepts from 2018. Going to be fun to watch. All right, coming up next, it's the big preview portion of the show. Billy Marshall, Blake Murphy, who covers the Arizona Cardinals. They're going to butt heads for a little while and talk schematics and and all that good minutiae there in the game. By the way, they uh, recorded this portion of the episode before the Cam Newton news hit. So if you hear that not mentioned in this portion of the episode, that is why. Fun day, folks. John Ellis signing off for Blue Wire. Enjoy the rest of this podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I am your host, Billy Marshall. And to help preview the NFC-leading Arizona Cardinals, we are joined by a good friend of mine, Blake Murphy. He writes for Revenge of the Birds, and you can follow him on Twitter, at BlakeMurphy7. He does a tremendous job covering the Arizona Cardinals, and the entire NFL as a whole too. Blake, how's it going? Hey, well, it's uh, going great for Cardinals fans, at least with everything. It's been a year that most of the fans were probably predicting that this would be a playoff team, but a lot of national outlets are picking them for about eight or nine wins. And through nine weeks, they've hit that eight win total. And there's a good argument that they're a uh, Vikings made extra point away from a two loss team or an AJ Green turning around away from still being undefeated. So uh, all of this being done at least and kind of a crazy coming out party for the Arizona offense and a really well-disciplined, pretty put together defense as well. No, for sure. I think it's, it's very interesting how they built their team. I'm, I, you know, it's weird because I wasn't a fan of what they did in the off season, but it seems to have worked. Like they went after like these veteran players that uh, I thought were, I mean, lack of a better word, washed, uh, not necessarily J.J. Watt. I thought he was – I thought he still had something. But Green in particular 
and James Conner didn't, didn't look good at all last year in Pittsburgh. And, and that's an organization where if they let you go, then, you know, buyer beware because they've been so consistent over the years. Um, but let's just start off with that. Like what have right. these veteran additions, um, whether it is James Conner or AJ Green, um, you know, meant to this football team? I think a lot of it with Arizona is that it's been adding talent uh, to a team that was pretty talentless coming out of the uh, much blind 2018 Steve Wilkes era. This would be the team that had one of the worst offenses of the past decade that had traded up for Josh Rosen, started him after Sam Bradford went down. And on the defensive side, outside of Buda Baker playing linebacker and Chandler Jones moved basically to a defensive end, uh, it's just everything has been kind of a mess. I think that getting a rookie quarterback in has helped with being able to make some of those big additions. And some of it has just been, I think, in a lot of ways, the Cardinals are always, for whatever reason, an organization where guys get new life in the desert. You think back to the Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer years of when those quarterbacks were able to make, you know, a Super Bowl and an NFC championship game. I don't know, maybe something about Older guys, at least who are in their 30s, can come to practice, have things pretty low-key, and then go out and hit the golf course. But a lot of it has turned into these types of matchups where um, what Cliff Kingsbury's tried to build, for the most part, has been a team that has players that are he trusts to make plays and trying to develop and design one-on-one matchups. And on the other side has been essentially this kind of ground-and-pound, very physical and aggressive run game that is matched by a very physical defense. So call it whether it is health, call it whether it is, you know, finally getting enough time. Things at least have gelled for the most part in Arizona, and they've been putting a beating down on the majority of the teams that they've played thus far in the league. And it's been something that maybe in the end of the day, you just have to look at it and say, all right, tip your cap. The Cardinals at least swerved into trying to find and add talent, even older talent. And um, while Watt's down for the year, so far the rest of that talent seems to at least been paying off for the most part in the short term for this team. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as we look forward to Sunday, one particular kind of kryptonite in Kyler Murray has been these Panthers over the past couple of years. Um, in 2019, you know, Carolina went mm-hmm. with Kyle Allen. They went into Arizona and completely shut him down last year. I think he had one of his worst games of the year against, um, you know, a very young and inexperienced and, frankly, not that talented defense. Uh, this year, the talent has clearly been risen to another level with this uh, defense. Now, first of all, I don't see him. I don't think he's practicing today, but do you expect him to practice or play on Sunday? Excuse me. It's been good. Yeah, it's kind of tough, at least, because the the way I usually talk about it with Cliff Kingsbury is he kind of has two de facto answers that he'll use all the time. He's like, we'll see. And the other one is, oh, no, no doubt. And usually always will see means no. And no doubt means yes. He's very close lipped on what happens as far as when it comes to injuries like JJ Watts status. It was like, all right, he's ruled out for the game on green Bay. And then like 12 hours later, it's like he tore everything and is out for the season. It's just, they're very tight lipped is when it comes to injuries. I think a lot of it comes down to if Kyler ends up being good to go, he was limping a little bit of after the game this last week, he uh, apparently Deandre Hopkins didn't practice today. Um, Kyler even didn't practice today you kind of get the feeling at least that it will depend on how much Arizona ends up putting into um, 
the fact that Colt McCoy played well and did efficient last week on the road, do you kind of end up saying if he's good to go, we'll play him, but we may just give an extra week given that Seattle and Russell Wilson come to town and then, you know, you get the bye week right after that. Um, it's one of those places where it's like it's the first time that Kyler has missed a start in the last few years. And the fact that he got hurt on the Thursday night game heading into that mini buy and still didn't play uh, makes me think that this is going to be probably something that will get cleared up later in the week when it comes to Thursday, Friday, if he's still not practicing, maybe they give the ankle a go beforehand, but with the way this team is playing, it wouldn't shock me if they look at it and say, all right, we want to make sure we can win in our division. Colt McCoy played exceptionally well last week. It's a lot tougher of a defense. I think you have in Carolina, although there's been a couple of guys banged up over there too. It's one of those places where if it is Colt that goes for the most part, you feel kind of like Cardinals fans, maybe aren't confident, but they at least are expecting that the team will, he'll give the team a chance to win as he's kind of back to his air raid roots in this Cliff Kingsbury offense. And I think that either quarterback that goes out will be facing one of the tougher challenges, but it may be a challenge that, you know, doesn't have the likes of we'll see what the status is on Brian Burns. And we haven't even talked about the Hassan Reddick revenge game yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's hyped. Um, I haven't, I think he's probably doing a presser later today anyway. Um, so I'll be curious to get his thoughts. But, I mean, to me, this offense, I think it's been kind of elevated finally by Kingsbury because the past two years he was just leaning too much to, at what he did in college, and I just don't think that's a recipe for success. Like, if he wants to play 10 personnel, like, I mean, he has it. He has the players to do it. I, I just feel like there has to be some different dimensions added to it, and I feel like he's finally – starting to do that and i think no bigger illustration of how he's elevating the offense was last week against the 49ers and uh, i mean that's another mm -hmm. situation that franchise seems to be also in a tailspin but to me I, I didn't even think mccoy did anything well like he had the nice throw to kirk down the field that that was a nice throw but besides that like he just like played within the structure of the offense and there's a lot of dump offs and screens and letting his playmakers just make plays and i think that's sort of finally like Kingsbury realizing how to play to his player's strengths. Yeah. We got to see earlier in late 2019, like the going back to when Kingsbury was hired, uh, part of the reason why a lot of Cardinals fans were excited for the hire was that not only was it not really like a retread coach or someone who you kind of knew who they were, like a good example is, you know, if Mike McCarthy had come into the desert, you're expecting, you, you know, what kind of offense he's going to bring. Um, how kind of stale it is. There's a good reason why a lot of Cowboys fans at least are looking at their coordinator, Kellen Moore, as like the de facto coach in waiting. But seeing the adaptability of Kingsbury and how he wasn't an air raid guy that only focused on like, you know, throwing the ball 60 times a game, um, kind of out of the Mike Leach tree, but that he did have this strong ability to run the football and design different plays out of, you know, different formations that was able to find um, – get guys in space, being able to use, you know, whether it's different counter pulls and being able to utilize, even though it wasn't really a under center play action game, we saw a little bit of that with McCoy. Um, he was at least kind of maybe influenced in some cases by uh, their offensive line coach that they have um, that they brought in at least when he was there. And we got to see later in the season of Kyler's rookie year, it was like all of these two tight end sets. It's like, what happened to the air raid? So I think it's been kind of a blossoming time for Cliff where he's basically been on the same type of learning curve as the likes of a Kyler Murray of how to learn, how to adjust, what to get better at. And 
a lot of times I don't think we see that from coaches who get hired. They just are who they are. They don't really seem to learn or adapt. And um, he's done a great job, I think, of being able to go in and have better game plans of knowing tendencies and then uh, being able to attack some of those different tendencies. You mentioned at least the screens last week. It was a, um, it was a spot where you have an aggressive 49ers, you know, four guys up front, being able to at least kind of draw on some of those tendencies to get two upfield and then be able to kind of bait them in with some of those screen passes. It was, <laughs> it was interesting at least to see for a lot of it is the Cardinals have just never been one of those teams that you would see screens. They would always be this kind of aggressive quarterback taking hits. It does feel like, like you said, he's kind of come into his own by being able to uh, take, you know, either what defenses are giving and find areas and improve upon weaknesses. The Cardinals weakness last year was they were great going deep. They had a horizontal game that would, throw the ball to Larry Fitzgerald in the slot and get tackled for like a three yard loss. And um, one of the biggest impacts this year is by moving Christian Kirk out of the outside into that slot area and adding a guy who can break a tackle or, you know, explode for about a 10 yards on a swing pass and Rondale Moore has really kind of opened a lot of the ability up where teams can't just, you know, simply play the Cardinals deep. They can't simply then just stack the box against the run you have to be able to be prepared to attack from all over the field. And the fact they've been able to improve the intermediate areas where, you know, that was one spot that Kyler struggled with last year. Uh, it does at least get to show that Kingsbury is at least finally showing in a lot of cases that he is a adaptable coach who is willing to be able to make changes and be flexible while still being able to cater to his player strengths. And that's something that sadly feels like we just, don't see a whole lot of in the NFL. I, I felt like looking last year when the Cardinals played the Panthers that seeing what they did with Teddy Bridgewater, seeing how Mike Davis was used a lot as a pass catcher. Uh, he was a guy the Cardinals targeted this offseason, just chose not to pay. It is going to be interesting at least to see how it stacks up because like you said, this is a Carolina defense that presents a much bigger challenge. I think you could say for the Cardinals just due to how well they've performed and played so far this season. And especially with, the playmakers that you guys have in the secondary. Yeah. And I, I think one thing to keep in mind here is that Arizona, like it's, I don't know that they wanted to run or didn't want to run the ball like their first couple of years, but like they replaced all of those runs with those bubble screens. And that was just so annoying to watch like over and over again. And I, I think finally we're, we're starting to not see that anymore. And they have, uh, a much more competent run game. I mean, we saw it like in, in 2019 where um, their run game, especially because you have Kyler, was relatively uh, decent. And But now I, I think that because they have two capable backs uh, with Connor and Edmonds, and uh, I mean, you know, Benjamin came out of nowhere too, former Arizona State guy. Um, I just think like it just gives their offense much more balance. And I know like, the analytics people are going to say, well, you have Kyler Murray, you should throw it every down. And to an extent, but like it just opens up so much of your offense when you can run the ball and you're physical at the line of scrimmage. Um, and, and I think the big thing that you saw last week is Carolina, their defense does like to bring a lot of blitzes. And whether it is yeah. Kyler or McCoy, it, it's going to be difficult for them to contain some of those, um, you know, screens or dump offs to whoever it is, whether it's Moore, Edmonds, Kirk, uh, Connor uh so yeah it's uh it's gonna be probably the most fascinating matchup to watch on Sunday 
Yeah, especially because one of the changes we saw that from freshman year, uh, or freshman year, sorry, his rookie season, not in college anymore. After all, I guess I'm thinking like Cliff still sometimes. Um, when it comes to the blitz, Kyler Murray, you just blitz him, and he would either have to scramble forward and try to get upfield, or would sometimes get baited into these different bad throws because he would like either throw it too soon and just didn't think that some of the linebackers maybe had the range, or guys would just be in kind of those spots to read you think of the Dante Jackson pick where Arizona was starting to kind of get back into the game of that year. And he just goes and ends up picking it off. Um, this year, what's happened and changed instead is that Arizona has got not only enough guys that can beat one-on-one um, -on -one coverage that when you're blitzing, he's also gotten a lot of help as far as being able to learn to take the small passes, such as the slants we saw in the same Titans game, We've seen at least where there's two times that the Titans blitzed one of them. He just kind of drifts, drifted back like 20, <laughs> it was like a Madden play almost drifts back like 15 yards, heaves the ball up to Christian Kirk, who's, you know, it's cover man zero over the top. So he's in one-on-one -on -one coverage. Kirk just outruns the guy from the slot. And that's one of the cases you said, like with the bubble screens and how annoying it was of not really having a lot of speed on the slot and not having guys who were, able to kind of go and get separation this year they've at least been able to see a combination of that and then some of it is just the mental game developed another blitz the titans brought rodney hudson was their you know kind of biggest off-season acquisition after jj watt they traded a third round pick for him he ends up pointing out hey this is a blitz package for the texans he immediately just hits deandre hopkins on the slant throwing right into the blitz and he's been one of the best if not i think for the first four to five weeks of the season Murray had the highest passer rating of any quarterback against the blitz. And a lot of that I think comes to some of the game prep with Kingsbury and some of his development as a player. It's been something that's been interesting to watch over time of, you know, when we make all these judgments on guys as a rookie, sometimes they end up seeing that they pan out and come true. And just like, yeah, that's, that was not good. You, you hope you get second life from a guy and you didn't other times you kind of can end up being so at least uh, aggressive or making decisions in the moment that, it's hard to give guys time to be able to develop. And I think that's one of the areas that's developed the most has been the, um, the mental game. And speaking of which, at least Murray did speak with the media. This is just kind of while we're recording this on a, a Wednesday, did speak to the media just about 20, 25 minutes ago, said that he made crazy progress on his ankles and it's optimistic he'll play Sunday against the Panthers. So it's not saying that he will, it's just that when you have the optimism from the player themselves, uh, letting him speak to the media, uh, even though he didn't participate in the walkthrough today, um, that is one of the areas where it seems like whether or not you're going to have to prep for Murray or whether or not they're kind of trying to play it and push a second week, it is going to be something at least to have to deal with uh, is some athleticism at the quarterback position because Colt McCoy was no slouch last week. He ran up in the pocket and had Nick Bosa pounding his fist in the dirt. And it's like, all right, it's, it's a 34-year-old quarterback is starting to run now. This, this is a weird NFL that we live in. Yeah, and uh... – to echo some players uh, press conference that Brian Burns said he expects to play and he wants to play. So mm -hmm. that's, yeah. that's good because I, I feel like you want to get those type of guys in the field. If the NFL is better when you don't have to worry about guys who are nicked up weekend or week out or having to hit IR, you, you want to see guys at least be able to have the best of the best go up because that's really what we pay for in the NFL is not just to see, you know, 300 pound guys blow all these future insurance salesmen off the ball, just seeing the precision and the excellence. Um, that's part of, I think why we call it an every, uh, as every given Sunday type of a league, at least is that you want to have those top players making the biggest plays. Yeah, for sure. And I think 
I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen Sunday. I just feel like what you saw the past couple weeks uh, with the results in this league, there it's it can anything could happen. Um, but let's transition over to defense. I mean, this is this has been quite the turnaround for uh, the Cardinals because I honestly I didn't know what to make of Vance Joseph. I, I thought he was quite a mediocre head coach in Denver, and uh, but I feel like I'm being a little too harsh in that assessment. Um, because it seems like well, he was of... pretty bad in Denver too, as part of it. So there's no shame in saying that. Yeah, no, and, and that's the thing. Like, I, I don't know how to judge head coaches. I didn't really think he was great. I didn't think his defense, particularly with the talent they had, was. Um, I mean, they were like an, a solid unit, and again, uh, they were a couple years removed from their dominating defense in the Super Bowl. Uh, but to me, uh, what he's been able to put together with a secondary that not many people were thrilled about coming into the year i think that's just a testament to the schematics and um and how he's been able to elevate the talent uh, on that unit because like yeah they spent draft capital on collins and uh, isaiah simmons high first round picks uh, but yeah, outside of byron murphy like the secondary is okay buddha baker is obviously a good player but I mean, what are you seeing from this unit that's just been, you know, that's turned it around? I think some of it has been health. I think some of it has honestly been that the Cardinals did not really have the talent in not just the pass rush, at least, um, but also didn't have as much of the ability in the secondary. Uh, in the first year that he was there on staff, Vance Joseph, they had the 32nd ranked Cardinals defense as far as versus the pass. And there were a lot of comments about people saying, Hey, like, do they, do they need to fire Vance? Is this, how, what does this look like for the most part? This has just been terrible. Um, they were missing Patrick Peterson. Uh, who's still playing well, at least for all of that. Um, uh, last year was maybe kind of one of the down years that we saw at least. And that's part of why they were going to let him walk, but he was out for most of the year and the team was basically trotting out the corpse of Terrell Suggs every single week after uh, paying him, I think it was like they had paid an extra million over the Ravens to sign him. And it was just one of those cases where it was not a solid, um, it was just not a solid unit when it comes to the coverage. Uh, and then when it came to covering the tight ends, that seemed to be one of the other big areas where it's like, oh, covering tight end, tight end is going up against the Cardinals. Go ahead and start them because it doesn't matter who they are. They'll go off for like 70 yards and two touchdowns guaranteed. What I think we've seen over the past two years is that once the Cardinals moved on from Terrell Suggs, got Chandler Jones back into more of a natural position and were able to bring in some linebacker talent. They got Jordan Hicks, at least from the Eagles last year, who I think he even led the team in tackles when it came to it. Um, They're able to get Isaiah Simmons, at least. This is kind of the interesting relationship that the Cardinals and Panthers fans have is you know, Arizona, after the 2 win at quarterback, they were dead set on grabbing either Derek Brown or Isaiah Simmons and were content to take whichever guy uh, the Panthers didn't. Uh, he's been one of the players that they've played somewhere on the edge, sometimes in the safety, to be able to put that big body on guarding those tight ends. They added Zayvon Collins this year. But really, it does come down to, I think we finally got a chance to see some of what Vance Joseph did with the Dolphins secondary when they had pretty much no one. Um, being able to kind of put them into good situations, whether it was by, 
you know, getting some good matchups, at least where the safeties were able to help compensate for some of the more inexperienced players or just being able to help develop some of those corners. That was basically what got him the Denver head coaching job in the first place was he was basically given, you know, chicken bleep and turned it into chicken salad on that secondary. And we've kind of seen a little bit of that over the past few years in Arizona as well. We've seen how Byron Murphy has really grown into his own uh, through the first few weeks. He was actually just one interception behind Trayvon Diggs. I think through four games for that. He's turned into a kind of their other ball Hawk next to Buda Baker. Uh, they got Jalen Thompson back a guy who they took in the supplemental draft, who's been one of the best tacklers on the team. They call him like one of their erasers where, you know, he just kind of ends up being all over the field, making plays in the run game, uh, being able to be solid in coverage and then this year, they got a healthy, um, I want to say at least uh, two healthy players who hadn't been healthy, one of them being Robert Alford, who's been kind of scrappy in that third corner slot role. And the other guy being Marco Wilson, the kind of surprise pick that Arizona got, you, you know, you're talking about athletic corners, you know, like about a six foot, 40 inch vertical guy who tore his ACL sophomore year in Florida and then didn't seem to really heal up until this past year. He's been starting for them to the point where they were basically going to, I think uh, everyone remembers throughout the beginning of the season, um, Malcolm Butler retired essentially from Arizona because he basically got beat out by the rookie. So the fact that Murphy Butler have been playing well and then having Alford be able to be healthy, those guys have been kind of the unsung heroes of the season where they've allowed Arizona to be able to blitz at a pretty high rate and still get pressure with four to five guys. Whereas in years past, they had to, rush six or seven to get home to the quarterback. So it's been a really solid job. I think Vance will get head coach interviews this season, just from the job that he's done with Arizona's defense, uh, especially when you're talking about losing Watt, having Chandler Jones miss time with COVID protocols, still being able to produce and perform. I, I think that he'll get interviews. I don't think he's going to end up with a job this off season. I think offensive coaches are much more of the trend where the league is heading. He had a job once before. But that's been one of the biggest things that we've seen is that Arizona secondary has just been very, very dominant this year. And, you know, you wouldn't think about it partially because the names aren't all that big, but I'd imagine at least at some point, Byron Murphy, if he continues his play, will make a pro bowl at least by the end of the year. Uh, if things go, you know, according to his way, um, I know the Panthers have a couple of guys. who I think you could argue would be maybe two or three pro bowl level corners for the most part. And uh, that's one of the avenues. I think that Arizona is going to have a, interesting matchup with you know the strong defense up front and then some of those secondary playmakers even without jc horn i think that that's where the cardinals matchup at least for the most part it's it's going to be these corners versus these receivers and the corners for that matter have played well for arizona it's a big reason why their defense has been so successful yeah for sure and i think that it just speaks to coaching whenever you can elevate a unit that maybe not maybe doesn't have the talent um that warrants you know, their ranking and by most metrics, the Cardinals are a top five defense in the league. And um, yeah, and it's not like they face slouches either. They've played some good offenses, all of diverse offenses too, like the Browns, Packers, uh, 49ers. Yeah. And uh, Rams was the weird one. We're coming into the game like, all right, let's see how they do. And they just put a, you know, the a, there was a couple of different defensive game plays that they did, but they just essentially were able to, take down the Rams as far as for that one, the blue in the mountain while they were on the road. And it just felt like that was kind of the, all right, this team is like legit and for real type of Avenue for the most part, because no one had even been able to touch the Rams at least up until that week previously, as far as how 
good their offense has been. So credit to what Arizona has been building the past few years. I think at least it's worked out this year, how we had hoped it would work out, but a lot, a lot of question marks have been up about the team over the past um, two years since they hadn't made the playoffs um, through 2020 and had a big, uh, I think it was a big collapse down the stretch for the most part after their six and three start. Yeah. I don't necessarily see that happening this year. I think they've, they have much more consistency on both sides of the ball, particularly up front. Um, but, but I guess like, what do you expect this Sunday? Because it's going to be PJ Walker. Uh, he's much more mobile than Darnold. And I expect Carolina to use his legs in some ways, maybe some zone read, some quarterback uh, uh, run concepts. But for the most part, Walker, he's pretty inconsistent as a passer. Um, not to say Darnold isn't, but, my point being that he just he has like a cannon of an arm and he like you remember like early years Derek Carr where he didn't have like he just had one speed to throw it at and he threw it like 100 miles per hour that's sort of what PJ Walker does and mm. so it's it makes it difficult on the receivers uh, but also the corners so like if he throws an inaccurate ball like um you know the ball's going to be coming hot so you got to be sure to you know catch it through through the catch point but i i guess my question for you is what do you expect Vance Joseph and their defense to dial up uh, against uh, kind of like an unproven and there's not much tape out on him either. Yeah. I, I think some of that's going to end up having to rely on maybe even going back to some of like the, uh, I think it was an XFL at least as far as that, unless I'm mistaken to having to dial up some of that tape and yeah, he was an XFL. Really it's, yeah. Really just a lot of, I think at least that we've saw with the, where the Cardinals struggled previously was um, they were, when they didn't come to play early against the Panthers in both times, you got to end up seeing at least, you know, like you talked about how, um, you know, they had the, um, the Allen game at least with all of that stuff earlier. And then with Teddy Bridgewater, the following year, really Arizona word, they struggled on defenses when they got gashed up front, which is part of why they decided we need to go out and get some of these, you know, veteran playmakers who are able to, you know, have this vote of mental fortitude, more of that toughness. They made that a priority. I think that would be the biggest area, at least, is if you're looking for an advantage would be to um, see that the Cardinals have struggled a bit more at home than they have on the road this year. They have gone, I think, so far undefeated on the road, and it's been pretty much blowout victories. Every one of them has been by double digits. It's been at home that Arizona's actually seen a bit more of their, you know, unless you want to count the first half of the Jags game, they you know, won only 17-10 over the uh, Niners. And then against the Packers, they were trailing for a lot of the game up until the very end. And that's been one of the spots of where if they don't come out with quite a hot start, that they do at least that they've been able to kind of do on the road, um, then they've kind of had to crawl back into it at some degree. So I think the best thing, at least as far as for where the Panthers can design is utilize a lot of the legs, use the misdirection, try to find areas where they can get Christian McCaffrey in space and, really be able to force um, Arizona to have to cover for long periods of time. And that's where I think one thing that we saw as far as with success was when the Cardinals were playing Kirk Cousins, there were some times where he was just able to manipulate the, the pocket or use, you know, escape where Arizona's defense was pressuring. But it's been a lot of cases this year, they've pressured quarterbacks and just not gotten quite home. They're a very aggressive defense in that regard. Um, what's going to make it interesting at least is that they haven't played a quarterback with maybe the exact same athleticism as Walker. So maybe there's going to be areas as far as, you know, getting there's some bootlegs, trying to be able to run some of the different plays, just keep Arizona on their toes to make sure that their linebackers maybe get their eyes drawn to some of the misdirection 
And then being able to get the likes of a speedy guy in McCaffrey, um, being able to utilize some of those plays at least, and then try to see if you can, you know, take advantage of it. Marker Wilson's still a rookie. He's given up at least to some of the veteran receivers. If you can get him matched up with DJ Moore, that may be a spot that there may be a shot or two. You can either take down the field or just, you know, try to complete some passes, get it where there may be a blown coverage or so. Um, it's one of the avenues that's tough because we've seen in the years past Arizona when they played um, backup or unexperienced quarterbacks, they would really struggle because it would feel like that they maybe not would take the, the pedal off the gas, but it would just seem like that they would, you know, just kind of come into the game and just kind of whole hum through it. And then when they would get punched in the face, they just didn't really seem to have the ability to recover. Um, what I think of at least, especially in this would be, you look at the Texans game this previous year, the Texans were able to put a lot of pressure up on attacking the Cardinals interior offensive linemen, get the ball into putting Arizona way back into their own end zone and were able to force a safety and basically able to go and drive down the field and take advantage of the good game script to get a field goal. The problem, at least that I think we've seen with any of those game plans is at some point, the talent on the field and the ability to kind of counter punch has come through for Arizona. There hasn't been a game this year where they just have been a kind of lackluster throughout the whole thing. They've either had a veteran be able to pick them up or someone find a way to make a play. And we even saw in that, you know, Texans game, as soon as the first quarter ended, it was all Cardinals throughout the rest of the way. They end up winning the game. I believe at least it was, um, what was it? Uh, 31 to five at the end of it, Texans didn't score again after that first quarter. That's where I think at least the hard part is if you're going to be looking at this game for Carolina, you're going to want to try to be able to make it close because this offense can score and score quickly. They'll force mistakes and try to be able to get quarterbacks trapped inside of the pocket, knowing that they either have guys who can swat the ball down or can, you know, make a mistake or toss the ball to one of those roaming safeties that they have. Vance Joseph's done a great job of being able to, not just necessarily dial up blitzes, but being able to kind of bait quarterbacks into feeling the pressure, feeling like you got to throw the ball or make a play or trying to run and escape out of it and then taking a big loss. So at some point, I feel like the Cardinals talent is going to end up overwhelming, at least even if the Panthers get off to a fast start. So I think the game plan you want if you're Carolina is to essentially try to just take away what you can from the run with Arizona. Hope that DeAndre Hopkins doesn't play and that your corners can make good plays and try to just force and see if you can get Kyler off of his spot, force him into trying to run a little bit too much. Or That's kind of, I think, the best approach. It's just really hard to see that because this is just, like we said, a different Cardinals team in years past where they seem to have been able to enforce their will. Even if it's off to a slow start, they've always managed um, to be able to make plays and get back in the game and then, in a lot of cases, run away with it by the end of – uh, the timer coming down in the stadium at least they've come away with wins more often than uh, more often than not in every single game this season yeah for sure and I think uh, a similar blueprint might be what San Francisco did a couple um, not not this past week but a few weeks ago when Trey Lance was actually the one who started I thought they used to um, they used his legs quite a bit uh, mm-hmm. um kind of well i guess i don't know if that's the proper uh, semantic but yeah i thought yeah they- it'd be third and seven and the train lance would be like if they try to blitz someone boom you can take off he had instructions there they were able to utilize elijah mitchell the cardinals best um run defense this year hasn't been the run defense the linebackers are still maybe a little bit pass friendly or they're almost daring teams to run it on them because their goal is to try to get takeover get takeaways 
Um, what the Niners did to stop that was we're just going to hand the ball off and run it with Trey Lance a ton, not throw the ball much. And I felt like it worked really well up until they decided that they were going to go for it on fourth down, try to put pressure on Arizona. And Arizona's defense has just been solid. Fourth down is a huge focal point that Vance Joseph has for his defense. So by going for it on fourth down and stopping, you look back at like, man, if Kyle had just taken like three of those five times that they went for it on fourth down and just taken the field goal or tried to pin Arizona deep, probably would have been a different result to the game. And I think that's probably more of that you know, dink and dunk, manage the game, utilize the legs, make sure you can keep the ball out of that explosive Arizona offense's hand. That, like you're saying, that if that's the game plan, I would totally agree if I was game planning for Arizona, that'd be what I'd do. No, for sure. I actually, I thought, I mean, San Francisco made it like inside Cardinals territory, like pretty much every drive. It was, they just couldn't really convert on those fourth and shorts. And that kind of was yeah. the difference in the game. I mean, their defensive approach was, um, yeah, it, it was I mean, it was spot on, and so I'm not sure what happened last week. I'll have to uh, watch that game again, but that was yeah. – uh, Arizona was a lot more prepared, I think, with last week with, like you said, the screens the other places, and some of that also made a big difference was Rodney Hudson left the Cardinals game with, like, I think it was in the first quarter, and then the Niners were able to attack up front, and Arizona really just didn't have a great answer for being able to run the football as well, and – when the Niners were controlling clock for like 40 minutes of that game, just because they kept being able to run the ball, get first downs and then go for it. Arizona was always in these terrible scripts of like, all right, we're back in the end zone now. And we're, you know, pinned deep at least on our own territory. That's one of the avenues, at least that I think Kyle Shanahan did a great job with. It's just, they weren't able to be able to ever put Arizona away. The defense stood still. And when it came time to have to make plays in the fourth quarter, uh, Kyler and Hopkins were able to get it done. And that was basically it for the most part. Yeah, it, it was a pretty funny game. I'll say that much. Uh, it's always interesting to watch these NFC West games. Um, I, I just feel like something crazy just always happens. I mean, we saw that game last year, the Seattle and Arizona game, where it was like back and forth. And I think you guys ended up winning in overtime. But, um, but yeah, man. Like, so let's kind of close it out here. Like, I mean, you've kind of already given a pretty good uh, picture of what this uh how carolina can win and what they have to do i want to stay away from official predictions but i just want to get kind of your thoughts on just where this cardinals team is going in the future because like you said uh to start off it it's been kind of like an interesting um you know expectation wise say they were expected to make the playoffs this year and there were a lot of pundits and some projections that didn't have them there and Carolina's in a similar position to where you guys were last year. It's uh, the second year of the Matt Rule uh, regime. Um, and I, I, by all intents and purposes, he's going to get a third year. But I think the difference here is that uh, you guys had the franchise quarterback with Kyler and Carolina doesn't. Um, but I just want to get your perspective on kind of where Arizona's going because the, the GM is still pretty – uh, hit or miss, I would say, especially gets uh, some criticism around uh, Twitter and I'm sure the locals as well. But what's kind of where do you see this team going in the next few months here? Yeah, I know with the, the, the GM with Kaim, one thing that we've never really been able to knock him on is he's at least once or twice been able to build a veteran team when asked. And that's really what he did this offseason. The question has always been, is he able to hit on first round picks? And is he able to find some of these kind of late round steals that come up? Because 
when Arizona just didn't turn everything around from the Bruce Arians era. It was just veterans, veterans, veterans. All right, now we got Robert Kondici and inside linebacker Hassan Reddick are going to carry us the rest of the way, and we're going to you know, trade up to get Josh Rosen. <laughs> Suddenly the team just lost more players than they were replacing guys with, and I think that's where when Kime has been able to have a little bit more of that success, you know, credit some of that maybe to – Kingsbury being able to put together an offense and having a rookie quarterback deal makes it easier to sign some of those vets. Um, they've had a couple of guys that have hit and it's kind of all in a little bit for this year. Like you don't know what's going to happen with Chandler Jones. He's now holds the all time sack record, but has started off with five sacks in one game has had one sack since, you know, they kind of had a chance. We talked about this off season to potentially, you know, re-sign Hassan Reddick, you know, keep him on a one year deal. And then if he's able to go off again, suddenly you're able to make maybe move from Chandler to Hassan, kind of make that old player going out, new player coming in approach that Bill Belichick just seems to nail each year. Yeah. I, think I, I Arizona, don't, the, yeah, go for it. No, I'm just like, I don't know why Reddick didn't have a bigger market. Like, yeah, yeah, like everyone, like it's fine. Everyone thought it was a fluke. They thought that it was up. He's it's moved in where he just had one great year in this defense where other players aren't. I felt like coming out that his strength was always, we saw him at Temple, he would get tackles for loss. He would get sacks. It felt like he was just an undersized edge rusher. And, no, and Carolina and went out and got him. It's great. No, for and, sure. But like, I, I mean, the Titans, they went out and paid, um, not not Danico Autry. He's a really good signing for them. But the other guy, Bud Dupree, and Dupree was a similar type of player, and they gave him a lot of money. Uh, the same thing with the Bengals and Hendrickson. And, I, I mean, I think Reddick is on par with those guys, if not better, maybe. And so I was just – maybe it's just like the old stigma, like he doesn't necessarily look like your typical edge rusher um, because maybe he is a little light and he plays at like – I mean, coming out of – temple he was a little bit of a tweener um but yeah it's just strange to me and, and i guess i get the point about steve kine because i, I like saving collins and isaiah simmons but i'm also wondering i mean do, do you really need to take a linebacker that high like yeah. in back-to-back years um i don't know i just i think he's he obviously he got byron murphy i'm not sure if that was a uh, Vance Joseph pick or a scouting pick who knows I mean that was clearly um, one of his better draft picks because uh, I mean for as much kind of praise as he gets for trading Josh Rosen I mean they use that pick on Isabella and I saw him in uh, trade rumor reports like a couple weeks ago and I see him like uh, only kind he's, of he's a punt gunner for them now like if he's active he's Crazy. a punt gunner last week last week they were down AJ Green they were down DeAndre Hopkins and you know they've had they were down another tight end i think at least as well and it's like all right and then we see antoine wesley from texas tech goes out there and catches i like them a lot on a trick play at least for that too so i like Isabella. i think the biggest thing with him has been when you see about the small school guys and how long it develops he was a guy who always played outside we didn't see as much in the slot and then it just never looked natural as far as his hands his routes just took a long time it was one of those weird avenues where the a lot of people like all right i like butler better than isabella well i like isabella better than you know hakeem butler and the correct answer turned out to be neither because neither guy ended up essentially coming in and were able to play in an area of a lot of their strengths, which was being able to, you know, use a lot of the athleticism against guys who weren't that same corner. And we've seen kind of in the NFL, if you're not going to be able to get off of press coverage and you're not able to utilize your routes to get open, you're just not going to make it in this league. It's so much more about skill than it is about just running through guys with power or, you know, you can moss guys every once in a while, but 
that consistency has to be there. I think that's been one of the things we've seen Arizona, at least to their credit, is recognize that and being able to build to that identity where we, you know, you said back-to-back first-round linebackers that needed. And maybe some of that is just the fact that Arizona looked and saw, hey, we got run over in the Niners game, the Patriots game. Like, we've had guys who are just maybe not even the Pats game. They took it away a lot. But they are just seeing linebackers not being able to tackle and seeing all these teams just run it up the middle on them. That at least they went out and they addressed some of their needs. And whether you want to talk about what the cost was, ultimately at the end of the day, the draft is about getting good players. And I think if you can go out and get good players, or even if you're trading draft picks to bring in good players, I think of the Panthers, you know, you lose JC Horn for the year. There's questions about whether the quarterback or cornerback decision was there with, you know, either Justin Fields or some of the other players, but they go out and give up a pick at least bring in Stefan Gilmore and we can see his impact almost instantly and I think that's one of the avenues between him and Hassan Reddick Reddick at least overall when it's come to kind of his run defense I think that's what has been the biggest question of he's a guy who ultimately when we saw last year in Arizona finally came into his own of he uses his athleticism to be able to be reliable in coverage you don't have to be an elite cover guy and he just has this tenacity to kind of be able to rush after the quarterback and in that regard like he's more of what you call a modern day outside linebacker and I think Arizona trying to shove him in and make him this you know, Carlos Dansby, because he's like, oh, he's only 6'2", 240s. He's not really your typical edge rusher. I think we've seen, at least in a lot of regards, some of those tweener players, as long as their strengths are there in college, we can see that translate to the pros. The guy who I think is perfect for this example, ultimately, is Jeremy Chin, a guy who, you know, is, he's listed as a safety. They brought him in into a similar kind of hybrid role like how we've seen the Cardinals do in the past and he thrives and ends up having a better rookie year overall than Isaiah Simmons did at least for the most part is being able to just rack up a lot of those tackles and being able to make some solid plays that's where I think it comes down to is just being able to make sure that you can find good players for the most part and put that together on a team amidst all the salary cap limitations and I think what's toughest for the Panthers I think is you feel like they've done that on defense when it comes to the offensive side so much I think is hinged on the quarterback position there to be able to execute a lot of that. And that's been, I think, the roughest part after the start against two easy teams. It just feels like that whole area has collapsed and there's been injuries back and forth. And it's just been one of those avenues where after a promising start for the most part, it just looks like the wagon wheels just kind of fell off. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I do I do think they've drafted pretty well skill position-wise. I think uh, Terrace Marshall, he'll be a good player and they obviously had the connection to Anderson. I know his production isn't good this year at all. And, uh, but I expect him to continue to get better. And Tommy Trumbull has been pretty good. Um, but offensive line wise, uh, love me some Tommy Trumbull. We wanted him in Arizona for our site manager. We're like, we got to get a tight end, go out and get Tommy Trumbull. That guy's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I just think that I, I think that they do a pretty good job of scouting the draft uh, I think that they're unlike you guys, where I feel like Steve Kime has already proven uh, to be very good at the pro scouting, the pro personnel scouting. Go back to 2013. I mean, all those guys that they signed, like uh, Gerard Powers and Lorenzo Alexander, and I brought back Dansby and traded for Palmer. And the, I think in 2015, he got like you, Potty Peters, um, Corey Redding, like guys who not necessarily are star players, but they, they just they do their job really well. And that's how they ended up in the NFC championship game. They were a pretty consistent team for, you know, those early years of Arians um, or actually all those years under Bruce Arians. And then, you know, flip it to this year. I think their best moves have been um, on the pro personnel side, Hopkins, 
um, uh, excuse me, James Conner, like we already said, AJ Green. Uh, so yeah, and Carolina is the opposite. Like they're kind of, I think they do their best work in the draft because their pro scouting is an issue right now, in my opinion. It's it hasn't been good. Whether it's it's not even just the quarterbacks, the offensive line signings that they. Um, I mean, the first hour in free agency, they're signing Cam Irving and Pat Elfline. Mm-hmm. So that's a little concerning. But some of their, uh, you know, players that they were able to sign, especially on the defensive side, like Morgan Fox and Reddick, uh, they have turned out pretty well. But it's going to be an interesting uh, offseason for them. I'll just leave it at that. But uh, as we look forward to this game, Blake, uh, where can people find you on Twitter and the rest of your work? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Blake Murphy Seven. Uh, the work being published is at revengeofthebirds.com. I've got an article that'll be going up a little bit later this week. Finally went and got around to being able to see the Dune movie for the second time and just kind of thinking through some of the thoughts. I'm gonna make kind of an interesting, kind of funky like pop culture reference slash comparison to how the Cardinals have, you know, this is a team that's never really had a true franchise quarterback. Um, what's interesting is, you know, through about two years, we probably would have compared Kyler Murray to a Cam Newton or to a Russell Wilson, a guy who's carrying their team, maybe not getting the record, or I should say Cam Newton. Uh, the other guy was a Michael Vick. There it was. Who's like maybe carrying their team using athleticism, rushing a lot, not getting the credit they deserve in some regards this year. I think his accuracy and just being able to see the field has moved to more of that Russell Wilson type and being able to see what does it mean for teams as far as the power with the quarterbacks and how that kind of the ties into some of the other pop culture stuff of Dune. So yeah, make sure you follow along for all of that, where all the cards takes. It's been kind of a fun year for us, at least, you know, if you're a, a team that really doesn't want to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go back and get another Super Bowl, <laughs> at least like Arizona's the team that you're going to want to be pulling for than Panthers fans. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, you guys have certainly seen quite a bit of sporting success in the past uh, six months, I would say. With the never Suns. at the quarterback position up until this, just never there. And we always yeah. lose to you guys, it seemed like, after, uh, what was it? I think it was the Kurt Warner, Carolina Panthers, Dahlholm, after we beat you guys in that, it's just we'd never been able to get past the Panthers since. So we'll see if they can on Sunday for the first time in a while. Definitely. Blake, thanks again for joining. Thanks for having me on, Billy. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.